0: Talk Radio. Truth. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military industrial complex. Are the Bible's prophecies today's reality? This could be the sign that signals the return of Christ. World leaders are working behind the curtains. The very word secrecy is repugnant a free and open society, secret societies, secret, secret oaths, secret proceedings. Now, get ready for an hour of truth that will make you think. We'll examine Bible prophecy and see how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ for his church. You're in the zone. Politics, Israel, the Middle East, the revised European super state, and more, all in the zone. This is the Prophecy Zone with your host, Phil Armstrong. zone. My name is Christine Weick and I would like to tackle verse by verse the book of Revelation. It's the first um, time that I'm going to be doing this verse by verse. I did this actually first time this year. I did this last year and I just thought I would go ahead and, and dig into it again for those of you who don't repeatedly go back into all the old archives of the Prophecy Zone. I'm going to start up a new one here, and I'll probably be a little bit more detailed on this one. As the Lord has revealed to me more and more information on Revelation, I'm going to be passing that on to you. So I do thank you for joining me, and let us dig into the book of Revelation. We'll start with, obviously, chapter 1, verse 1. I am going to be working with the NIV. I do not know what uh, Bible version you prefer. Many of them prefer the King James. I'm going to choose the NIV here to study with because it is the one that is found in most churches. However, I have nothing against anyone who wishes to follow along with the King James or the Living Bible or whatever other 32 versions that are out there. So I'm going to be reading out of uh, the um, the international version, the new international version. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. What you're going to find here is, some people ask me, oh, what exactly is the book of Revelation about? And that is answered for us in the first verse. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand that when Christ was upon earth, he took on a human form. Yes, he was God. And yes, through his miracles, he showed the glory of God. But you know, in Revelation, it really comes to life as to the true identity, his true self that he is God and we're going to see the description of him um, quite a bit here in this first chapter but I believe that that first verse here indicates to us that this is what Jesus Christ is about he's the victor he's the one who wins in the end and of course we know revelation is about the end notice who he shows this to the revelation of Jesus Christ or the purpose of revelation which God gave him, which is Christ, to show who? His servants, which must soon take place. This is not shown to an unbeliever. This is not shown to a Muslim. This is shown only to those who are his servants, his children, the church, the bride. How else do you want to word that? This is shown to me and you who if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then this is obviously something that is revealed to you. And I believe that is why when we talk about the end times with those in the secular world, those who are not believers, or those people who call themselves Christians, and use that word loosely, but yet do not have any interest at all in understanding Revelation, That's the ones that Jesus has kept blinded. Those are the ones who don't understand. Those are the ones that it's not been revealed to. So consider this a blessing. If you have a hunger for the book of Revelation or any end-time prophecy, or you just wish to understand Revelation better, that is there for you. And it's the revelation that's given to us here. And verse 2 who testifies, okay, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now, we know John is the author of the book of Revelation, other than, of course, the author being God himself. But John is the one who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Very clear, John is the middleman here. He is writing what Jesus Christ is revealing to him, and... He's given it to us in written form in the book of Revelation. John says, I am a testimony. I am the one who's seen seen all these things that he showed me. I've been to heaven in the spirit. I've seen what happens upon the earth in the end times. So this is my testimony. Believe me, a testimony is a very strong witness to what he's seen. And that is what John is doing here. I love verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I think a lot of people, when they ask me, oh, "The Book of Revelation, why do you read it? It is so scary," I, you know. And and I look at them and I say, "But this, it's exciting." Um, it's the return of our Lord. That's something we should look for. To me, once you understand revelation and what is all involved in it, what we know is going to happen, yes, there's going to be some horrible things coming for this earth. Um, there's going to be horrible things coming for the believer, as well as, of course, the unbeliever. But I can speak, I would say, on the behalf of myself, but many other fellow christians who also love the book of revelation they feel that you are given a blessing because you know what's going to happen and i believe knowledge is power if you know of of a disaster that is coming your way you can prepare accordingly if you know when an earthquake is coming you don't go into the basement of a house when you know a tornado is coming You don't go outside. Can you see how knowledge is power of whatever disaster would come? You prepare accordingly. And I believe Revelation does that. It is a step-by-step plan to show us what is coming and what we need to do as Christians to prepare ourselves, prepare those around us, um, just just to know the thought of what is coming and, of course, who wins in the end. And that is a blessing. Revelation does not need to be scary. And for the believer, it is definitely definitely not gloomy. We should look forward to this. And the more I speak about Revelation and the more I see things happening in our world that reflect of what's coming, the more the signs come into place, whether it's an increase in earthquakes or it's the nation of Israel under distress, the more I get excited because it's like, yes, I can see that forming as prophesied in God's word. Verse 4, John, and I believe uh, this is speaking from Christ, it says greetings here. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Now, keep in mind, there were actually seven churches that were literal. In fact, you can still visit the ruins of some of these churches today. I think Ephesus is still uh, in in its place. They actually hold church services there in Ephesus. That's kind of interesting. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne... Now, we'll get into the seven spirits later, um, but these uh, seven spirits are the seven characteristics of a believer, but they're also the seven characteristics of God. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But it says grace and peace to you. In other words, he comes with a greeting um, to John and exactly explaining who he is. And we'll get into this a little bit later into this chapter. And from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the rulers of the kings of the earth. That is obviously very self-explanatory in that verse. This is Jesus Christ and he's the winner. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. There is a message of salvation right there. Uh, Verse 5. Verse 6, And has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power, forever and ever. Amen. Again, he has made us, his followers, the church, to be a kingdom. And actually, this kingdom is something that comes up in the last couple chapters of Revelation. It's going to be a very exciting time when we get to that. And that might be a couple months from now before we get to that chapter. But it is a kingdom that arises. And we are a part of that. And priests. That means we are holy. We can be able to have communication directly with the father verse 7 here is the rapture look he is coming with the clouds every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him so shall it be amen first of all look at that last part so shall it be in other words it's inevitable It's not if it's going to happen. It is when it's going to happen, and it will happen. Amen. Notice the trajectory of that statement. It's like this is a definite thing. It's not just something that we throw out there as a theory. It is something that is going to happen. There is a lot in this verse. And we need to take this apart because this is where a lot of theories of man come from that are in error. And look at what the Bible is saying. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. That means the unbeliever as well, and it means. And I mean, actually, it uh, iterates that with the next phrase: even those who pierced Him. I'll get into that in a minute. Every eye will see Him. That, to me, was an error in the Left Behind book series. Excellent series. It brought people a lot of, you would say, clarity as to the rise of a person who was the Antichrist and and so on. But the way the book, the Left Behind series, in effect, a lot of people believe that the rapture is a secret. Only believers see Christ coming in the clouds. That to me is a direct contradiction to what is said here. It says every eye will see him. It doesn't say only those who do not have the mark of the beast. It does not say only those who believe. There's plenty of instances there throughout Revelation that speak of those who take the mark or those who did not take the mark or those who bore testimony to Jesus Christ. It does not say that here. It says every eye will see him. And that's why at the latter part of this verse, all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. That here is a clue to me. First of all, the world knows that something is coming. And when it actually does take place, they are now going to be fit to be tied. Because I believe this is where the 144,000... This is where I believe the two witnesses. This is where I believe, and yes, I am not a pre-tribber, but this is where I do believe that the believers that are on earth during the tribulation period, now let's say, for example, if the rapture occurred beforehand, so be it. Then these would be the believers that will be going through the tribulation period. There are obviously those, because we'll run into that quite often here in Revelation. But these people here, will be doing all the witnessing telling people who take the mark of what's going to happen to them. And when Christ returns in all his glory, these people will see the oh man I should have listened. Oh wow. This did come to pass exactly the way they said it would. That Christ would be coming with a loud loud trumpet sound, that he'd be coming on the clouds, that people would be coming out of their graves, they'd be rising in the air to meet him. Oh, wow, now the wrath of God is coming upon us, and that's with the seven bowls of wrath. And this is where the people of the earth will mourn. Now, look at the middle section here. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Now, we know clouds and the rapture go together. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. The theory came about, oh, I think it was about 100 years ago, maybe even sooner than that, maybe about 80 years ago. There was a theory that came out called the preterist view, or the view that revelation was all accomplished, that it had already been fulfilled during the time that the temple was destroyed and that Jerusalem was destroyed. And that was in 70 A.D. They use this verse here as proof that when Jesus told his disciples that they would see his kingdom, some of them would see his kingdom coming, that the preterist view is that the disciples were alive to see the coming of the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They actually believed the rapture had already occurred in around the year 70 or 80 A.D. Now a lot of you are like, you got to be kidding me. There's people that think Revelation has already been fulfilled? Yes. And there was a very strong movement for that. This is the verse that they use. Even those who pierced him, they will see him coming in the clouds. They feel that these are the Roman guards, those who pierced him. I find that, to be not only a false interpretation, but a dangerous one. Because the preterist view takes all of revelation and puts it into the past. It takes nothing out of what is still coming. And I believe when things start happening, like the mark of the beast or the trumpets as they start uh, sounding and things are occurring on earth, the preterist view becomes one of those that says you can ignore all that it's just something that's going to happen that all the revelation was already fulfilled back 2,000 some years ago or 1,500 years ago Um, all these things the mark of the beast and all that stuff don't worry about it it's not relevant for today and that where i feel it is very dangerous but then what is the bible saying here even those who pierced him. That would seem to be the soldiers at the cross who pierced Jesus' side with the sword. But look at this. Go to Acts chapter 9, and if you start at verse 3, this is the story of Saul, who actually became Paul later. When Saul was on his way to Damascus, if you remember the miracle that occurred there, he seen an extremely bright light, and Jesus Christ actually stood in his way and blinded him with a light. I'm going to read it to you here. As he neared Damascus, this is Saul, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He filed to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do there. Notice how Saul is asking, like, "Uh, uh, who are you, Lord? (laughs) He almost like, he didn't know. It must have been someone, and of course, maybe he calls angels lords, but he might have been thinking that this was definitely something supernatural. But I think Saul knew that this was Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, was Saul actually persecuting Jesus Christ? Well, no. Jesus Christ was in heaven at this point. He already had ascended. It was the disciples and the church that Saul was persecuting. But Jesus takes this on to himself. He says, Saul, what you're doing to the church, you're also doing to me. You're persecuting me. And Saul's like, he doesn't quite get it, of course, until later. And then, of course, he changes his mind, and that's the the conversion on the road to Damascus. We also have an idea of this. When we go into the Gospels, Jesus makes a comment to his disciples. He says, when you visit someone in prison, when you help the sick, when you feed the hungry, you do so also unto me. And the disciples asked Jesus, well, Lord, when did we ever see you in prison? When were you ever sick and we comforted you? When were you ever hungry and we fed you? And Jesus said, if you do it for the least of these, which was at that time, he was present around some of the lower levels of society. I believe it was even maybe a group of children. But he said, if you do it for these people, the ones who are in prison, the ones who are thirsty, the ones who are hungry. You do it also unto me. You see where I'm getting at here? Christ's body is also considered Christ. And this here is that example. Even those who pierced him. This is an indication of persecuting the church will be occurring during the tribulation period. And Jesus is saying all those people who were killing the Christians during this tribulation period that is coming, even them people are going to see me coming in my glory. Can you now see who it is that is doing the piercing? It is not the Roman soldiers, and they will not see him, because they are dead in the ground at this point, and they do not rise up at the first resurrection for the rapture. They do not. Only the believers in Christ do. So the people who are upon the earth killing the Christians, putting them in prisons, tormenting them, those are the ones that Jesus is saying they will also see his return in the rapture. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Obviously the beginning and the end. That's where you get your Alpha and Omega. And uh, again, it's reiterated, he has been around for an eternity he will always be in around for an eternity. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was obviously captured by the Roman government and you got to understand a little bit here of Roman history, or actually of church history. Nero, at this point, was dead. We know that for a fact, and so this gives you a little idea as to when Revelation was written. It was written probably around the year 80 to 90 A.D., um, roughly. John might have been in his 80s at this point. I, you know, that's always been up for conjecture. But... The Emperor Domitian was the emperor that had taken John and put him on the island of Patmos. Now this was a form of persecution where Christians or anybody else who was going against the government, and of course John probably would have because he would have not worshipped the emperor. One of the ways to get yourself imprisoned during the Roman Empire was not to worship the emperor. They would set up statues all over the city, and you were to bring gifts and you were to bow down and worship. And John obviously taught that you were not to do that, and he didn't do it himself. So uh, a number of reasons why John would have been captured and imprisoned. But Domitian was an emperor who did persecute the, the church, but was not near as severe as Nero. If Nero had been alive at the time of Revelation was written, John would have been killed outright. His life would have not been spared. Nero was famous for not letting Christians live. He would torture them beyond, imagine, beyond our imagination. It was just a horrible. He was notorious for it. So Domitian was the emperor who kind of scaled back the persecution in a way of how harsh he would be. He probably did kill out, killed Christians outright, but most of the time, his form of persecution was exile. And one of them was a prison on the island of Patmos, which was in the middle of nowhere in the ocean, and you were kept in isolation. You were by yourself, and we have that clue here also. On verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, and I'm going to get to that here in a minute, this is the first time in the New Testament that the Sabbath is not mentioned. It says, on the Lord's Day. This is the first time you're going to see this. I believe there was a reason for this. First of all, we know that John was a Jew. And he would have kept up with the Jewish traditions, of course, with the belief of Jesus Christ as well. But he would have kept his Jewish traditions and more than likely would have worshipped on Saturday, which was the Sabbath. Obviously, it was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, so a little bit of two days there. Now, if he was in isolation, and I would assume that he had not been able to receive any outside communication obviously he was able to write letters and do some things because he wrote the book of revelation here and maybe he was able to send out letters don't know that for sure but chances are he did not receive anything coming in that was a form of his persecution he was kept basically in seclusion you would lose track of days I believe he probably would have kept notches going every time the sun came up. He'd put a notch up for one more day, but he wouldn't know what day it was. You can see that possibility. Go on vacation sometime, an extended one, two weeks or so. After a while, when you're not in your routine, where you have outside influences that tell you you the day of the week, you forget what day it is. You lose track. It's like, boy, is it Monday or Tuesday today? And I think John was at that point. He didn't know when the Sabbath was, so he called it his Lord's Day. And he probably marked it off. Every seven marks would be his Sabbath. And that's why I believe the Lord's Day was what he called it. It was his day to worship God. And when it says that he was, let's see here, on the Lord's Day I was in the Spirit. What does that mean? I believe he was into it. I mean, he was into the worship. Very possible that this was not a real quiet time for him because behind him is a huge trumpet blast. Um, and We'll get into that next week. But he is worshiping in such a way that maybe he is yelling at the top of his lungs. He's singing the Psalms. I don't believe he was a depressed individual, even though I'm sure he had his time but he was worshiping in the spirit. He was in the spirit. He was just caught up in worship. It was a Lord's Day. He was yelling. He was maybe just raising up his hands and just shouting on the top of his lungs the psalms. Don't know. But I think that's a clue as to why the trumpet blast had the sound because he was so loud. <laughs> I'm sure the guards probably were just shaking his head going, what kind of nut is this out in the courtyard? This is why I believe... That John had a heart for the Lord, even though in persecution he was still joyful. Something that we are going. This is something that we are going to have to understand as we go through the tribulation period, or those that become Christians during the tribulation period. My name again is Christine White. I have a book out. It's called Explain This a verse-by-verse explanation of the book of Revelation. You can catch me by email if you want more information on getting the book. If you get it from me directly, it is $9.99 plus shipping, which runs about $4. Or you can get it off my website. And my website is explainthis.us. My book is also available at Amazon.com. The Kindle. Is 99 cents, folks. If you got yourself a Kindle, or hey, that new uh, uh, the new fire thing that uh, Amazon just came out, it's on there for 99 cents. Just go ahead and Google um, the name of the book, which is Explained This, and you'll see a bright orange book come up on the screen, and that is me. So I hope you are enjoyed today. We'll catch you next week on the continuation of Chapter 1.